welcome to Why Love and Audio. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thank you for listening. This is Ypsilanti's College Football Podcast. You can read Ypsilanti's College Football Newsletter at ypsi11.com. It is UMass Week. I'm recording on a Wednesday. This, is, this should be published on a Thursday. And today, either by the time you listen to this, maybe a little bit afterwards, assuming you listen to it as soon as it's published, which I know all of you are. I should have a preview for this game up. Um, so yeah, go ahead and do check that out. I'm going to start incorporating a lot of more video to my game previews. I wanted to start doing that moving forward. Uh, I spent a lot of time doing that to make sure that, you know, things that I wanted to do, things that make sure, I just wanted to make sure like it all looked the way I wanted it to and that I'm proud of uh, the way it turns out. I think it'll be really, really good. And I think it's definitely going to add a lot of value to these game previews, you know, because we can talk about players and stats and I can kind of paint a picture for you. But if you're anything like me, I also have to like see what's going on at the same time. Words help. Words add context. You know, words inform me. But I'm also a visual learner. I also like watching the football. I also like watching the opposing team. Sometimes I might not want to watch all four hours of a game, four hours and fewer plays of a game. But I still want to watch the football. The football is why I'm here. So I started doing that. Expect to see some UMass clips in the UMass game preview and uh, for other teams moving forward as EMU progresses through its schedule. Week two is in the books. We got week three coming up. Should be a lot of fun. Obviously, by reading the title of this podcast episode, you should know that there's an interview to listen to uh, another writer from the 24-7 Sports or 247 Sports, however you want to pronounce that network. Michael Traney, also a former hustle belter. So it was good to hear from an old friend. He's been keeping up with UMass ever since I met him. Uh, Obviously, at the time, UMass was a Mac school. It is not, still not, in a conference kind of wanted to get his opinions on, of course, the game coming up. Why else would I be talking to him? But also, hey, you're still an independent. How's things going? So it was kind of good to hear, you know, a perspective um, because I don't talk to too many UMass people. Good to hear his thoughts on everything going on over there on the football front and on the conference front. This Saturday is going to be the fifth meeting between EMU and UMass, two and two. Eastern's won the last two contests uh, over the last two seasons. This season and last year, both are at home. Don Brown leading UMass after, uh, yeah, after things just <laughs> did not go well with its former coach. Uh, really, really bad there. UMass, even though it is perennially the 130th through 133rd, since FBS is expanding, let's call it the 130th best uh, college football team in America perennially ever since it made the jump. Not a lot of national respect, understood, doesn't win enough games, but Don Brown's kind of changing things, getting things the way it likes, trying to find more of a regional identity. I like the way UMass is headed. 
finished the season one and eleven last year. Last year, of course, uh, when they played at Eastern, it was a twenty to thirteen finish at Rynearson. Not the prettiest of outcomes, but a win was a win nonetheless. EMU, if you remember, had to come back down thirteen nothing in the third quarter. A couple of touchdown passes from Austin Smith. One was through a really really tight window to Darius Lassiter. One was just like a really nice lollipop throw over the middle to Tanner Canoe. Would love to see his game improve, of course, throughout the season. Haven't seen enough of the offense in general with only 100 snaps run uh, the season for the offense. So it's been hard to get like a grasp of what this team wants to do. Hasn't gotten enough in-game reps, I don't think, to prepare him for the season. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe that's a stretch too far, but I'm sure that if EMU would have been able to add, say, 20 more plays because, you know, consistency kept them on the field longer, consistency on offense kept the defense off the field longer, I think EMU would definitely want to have that happen. EMU doesn't want to finish the game with its defense playing more snaps than its offense for the third time in a row. I'm sure of that. I've got three keys for you before uh, we move on to my interview with Michael Traney. One, UMass's offense is not looking at the quarterback position. It's got some experienced players through transfers. It's QB1 was a transfer from Clemson and Georgia Tech. Didn't get things going at either of its ACC stops. Started getting, started the season out, got hurt was totally out through the Auburn game. Uh, Don Brown was asked about what his health status was on Monday. Just gave a, mm, I don't want to answer that question, but our QB2 is going to be fine. Uh, and QB2 left the game against Miami last week. Either way, the quarterbacks should be much more improved than what it showed last year. Uh, the starting quarterback that Eastern saw last year, uh, they'll see him again, but as a tight end, tight end wide receiver, one of those. It's an improved spot. The offense itself is just growing as a whole uh, because of the transfer portal. It got you know some pretty good players, players that didn't get to break through at their previous stops and are now getting a shot at UMass. Uh, that's what that thing is for, and UMass is benefiting so far so long as these guys can kind of stay on the field. But when they run their plays, there's a lot of pre-snap motion. They love to use that to create advantages against defenses. In EMU, for that reason, they have to, one, stay uh, stay communitive and play assignment-driven football. You know, if that is the key, if to make sure that they're winning the football game preparation-wise at the time of the snap, I think they'll be set up for good chances defensively. But they can't, there's not going to be a lot of room for mental lapses because UMass doesn't just, you know, slide across the slot receiver from one side to the other. They do a lot of creative things. They do a lot of creative things with its motion, like especially like if they're doing like a receiver a receiver number one, if we're going from counting from the outside in, a receiver one becoming a two and then running a route back to the outside while the two stays skinny and goes. The former two, now the one stays skinny and goes up the middle. Uh, they did a touchdown play off of that. You'll see that in the preview for read that, and that's kind of like kind of hard to visualize after me saying that. 
the defense, they do a good job of communicating, staying on the same page. But that's going to be the key of this game when UMass has the ball. Sure, that sounds like a common sense take to make, but it's very important. It really is. They have to be on the same page. They can't, you know, they have to understand what the assignments are going to be before this, before the motion. They don't have to wait for the motion to start communicating. They need to be in sync for how many snaps they're on the field. So if they can stick to playing assignment-driven football, I think they'll be in a good spot. At some point, I want to talk more about Austin Smith and the quarterbacking and all that stuff. Um, But I kind of want to wait a little bit to see more of a sample size. Last year was kind of hard to read because he was so young, so new. Sure, he had some success, but then he got hurt late in the year. You know, now is the time where, yeah, I want to see some growth out of him. Uh, The last couple of games weren't excellent, but you know what? I can kind of, I can bank on the future a little bit. I still like what I see out of him. I would love to see improved game out of him, but that kind of goes without saying. For this game specifically, though, for UMass, because Austin Smith's situation will, I shouldn't say situation, but his play will be, obviously, as the quarterback, a focal point for the whole season. But for this week, I really want to see a breakout receiver happen. And I know a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I know a lot of reaction that I've noticed so far has been one guy that we haven't seen enough of is Hamzael Zayat. What is what is going on? Give him the freaking ball. And I don't know how many times I have to say this, but I'm going to say it for a 50th time. Eastern's only run 100 plays. You know, and they can't give him the ball a ton. There were some plays where he actually could have come through better on offense. Uh, for as good as he's done on special teams, I think he's had one, maybe two drops. I'd have to go go back and check if the second's real, but I can definitely think of one off the top of my head. Um, and you know what? He doesn't, like Canoe, doesn't possess a ton of size. So there's already like a physical mismatch against some defenders. Yeah, I'd like to see him going too. Uh, but I'd also like to see a perfect game out of the quarterback. You know, it's it's all good. Hamzeel Zayat, he'll get his looks, I think. I really think he'll get his looks. And I don't think... He has to play his best football in the non-conference slate. I don't think that's that important. But like in the Minnesota game, like I talked about in the last episode, when EMU wants to play ahead, when EMU wants to force a drive, when EMU wants to impose itself on offense and get on the scoreboard because it felt like it, it's going to have to have a X receiver. It's going to have a true X receiver. It doesn't have to be a guy with a lot of size. It doesn't have to be Darius Lasseter's size. If you watched UMass play last week, which <laughs> that game took forever, but it is worth a watch because they played Miami. And wow, that <laughs> Gage Larvidane, that receiver, Southeast Louisiana transfer, not a huge dude tore it up he tore it up against Miami too that guy is already on pace to be like the max number one offensive player this year easily like that guy tore it up like 273 receiving yards three touchdowns dude is electric out there I don't know if he has that same 
caliber receiver right now. I don't know yet. I think they have, and as I've already said, they have a ton of potential. They have a lot of guys that they believe in that I like personally too. However, I got to see it on the field. I got to see it on the field. Because if UMass is going to be weak anywhere, it's going to be weak if you have a real X that can kick its ass because that's the type of receiver that can do the most damage against this UMass defense. So, if there's a time and a week for someone of that position to break out, now would be a great moment for that. Now would be that time. Emu didn't run the ball a ton last week. Maybe it'll want to do with it like a lot of running this week. I don't know how much it's going to ask Austin Smith to throw it. I'm not going to try to prognosticate that. But EMU will want to force the run down UMass's throat. There's a lot of respect to UMass's defense. I like it too. I think especially when they stack their linemen and their linebackers in a 3-3 set, they that does a what that does is really just disguise pressures. It really disguises gap assignments, keeps the offense guessing. So when that's the case, are they going to do some inside zone runs? Are they going to like do zone blocking if the lineman, which is still trying to figure out its footing, and they definitely want to play better than what they were able to show against Minnesota, what kind of blocking assignments do you want the offense to do to create the best paths for 22 and 28? What 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 is that going to look like? Is it going to be zone run? Is it going to be power? Is it going to be I mean what what is the case going to be? What is EMU's bread and butter going to be in the run game? That's my big question coming in here. I shouldn't say my one big question. That's my third note here. But what's the bread and butter going to be? All right. I think I've done enough time kind of leading into here. Uh I'd like to turn it over to uh my interview that uh, wrapped up about an hour or so ago with Michael Trainey from the 247 Sports Network. Fight Massachusetts. And now joining us is Michael Trainey of Fight On, or I shouldn't say Fight On, Fight Massachusetts of 247 Sports. Uh, more notably, though, a fellow Hustle Belt alum. Michael, how are you, dude? I'm good, Alex. How you been? Doing good, doing good. Uh, obviously, reaching out to you for, you know, I've known you for a minute. I know, I trust your work with covering UMass. Not an easy program to do it in. Uh, I, I understand, you know, trying to cover a team that doesn't have, you know, as much publicity. I mean, EMU, not as much as UMass. You guys actually do have a pretty good rotation of guys out there. Uh what has been generally, you know, your your time covering UMass, what has it been like and how has it been lately now that Don Brown is entering year number two? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I, I do this as a hobby. You know, this isn't my full-time job. It For wasn't sure, when I started at uh, at Hustle Belt with you and everything when, when UMass was still a member of the MAC, the, the good old days uh, for FBS football at UMass. Um, it, it's been interesting. It, you know, it, it can be difficult for sure to do it. Um, the, the lack of coverage is, 
is sort of it, not unexpected given UMass's struggles since they moved up. But um, it's it for me, it's fulfilling. I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun to to follow a team you support and everything. Or yeah, you know, I'm an alum of the school, so I've been, I've enjoyed doing it. And it's Don Brown's return certainly has piqued more interest in the team. Last year was a tough year just to get himself, you know, resettled at UMass and and install his pro, you know, his systems, culture, the whole nine. But this year started out anyway, looking like it might really be a little bit different, which UMass fans haven't seen. And uh, hopefully they will be able to continue on that path. We'll see. They've they've lost the last two, but they've got a pretty manageable schedule so we'll see how it goes but yeah don's return has definitely uh invigorated the fan base a little bit he's he's a very popular guy both in massachusetts and in the umass sphere considering the success he had at the school and and he does have a real affinity for umass which is which is good when umass was in the mac uh the record went eight and 40 not great uh since it left the mac 14 and 53 um a lot of moving parts of course we don't have to go down you know, the rabbit hole of explaining everything there. But as it's trying to, UMass, as it's trying to walk and exist as a college football program, trying to find an identity with Don Brown, which obviously is invigorating more, you know, like you said, attention, more clamor. Uh, The results aren't there yet, but we think they might be there. But still, as a whole, UMass, you know, is in the same world that the MAC is in, it's the same world that Eastern's in. Watching the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12 rise and the Pac-12 kind of fall apart. Uh, but as UMass is trying to find an identity, how is it How is it doing? What are its moves? What is its kind of expectations for the future? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly I, looking to try to find a conference home. Um, it's been difficult for the football program since they left the MAC, um, you know, at the time when the uh, the Mac kind of called in the clause that UMass would have to join in all sports or leave. The Atlantic 10 was a different conference that that's UMass's primary conference still, but it was a, a very, was per, probably the best mid-major basketball league in the country. It was a multi-bid league for the NCAA tournament, at least three or four bids every year for teams. And it is slightly, and I stress slightly more regional for the university of Massachusetts, given some of the other teams in that league that they can bus their non-revenue sports to. So at the time they decided not to go to the Mac and I think hindsight being 2020, uh, they probably regret that decision. Now um, the current athletic director, Ryan Bamford, he came on to UMass after that decision was made. So he didn't make the decision to leave. Um, his predecessor, John McCutcheon did. And John McCutcheon was not a very good athletic director. He pretty much made mistakes at every turn. And it seems like leaving the Mac probably was one of them because if UMass was still in the Mac now, it would be a much different story for their football program. I, I don't doubt for a second that they would have already made a bowl game. They would have already had bowl eligible seasons, but they've, they've been trotting this independent path and it's, it's very difficult for them. It's tough to get games. It's tough to get home games. Uh, there are fewer and fewer independents now with, uh, you know, conference USA grabbing up Liberty and New Mexico state and all this expansion going on. Um, and it really just isn't a place for UMass right now because most conferences want them in all sports and UMass is hesitant to do that. They want to try to find a football only conference and stay in the Atlantic 10. One man's opinion. I think that's a mistake. Uh, misplaced loyalties. The Atlantic 10 hasn't gotten UMass anywhere in the last decade, and they should be looking for a place, whether it's the Mac or the American athletic conference or something where they can move their entire athletic department to help support football. 
basically right now what they're doing as an independent is they need to they need to show that they're a worthwhile commodity for something like that. Any conference isn't really going to look at them and, and say that they're someone they want to bring in. Uh, the American has a chance to, to take a, another team because they're losing SMU and all signs point to it being an a, being Army as a football only member. And really with Conference USA's new grant of rights, Army and UMass were about the only two teams that the American could even look at to take. And they, you know, there wasn't even a thought in the world that they would look at UMass. It was always just, well, we'll take Army as football only. So they're in a difficult position and they need to win some games and, and show that the, the football program is a viable commodity. This year is hopefully going to be that year. They've, they've got one win under their belt. They've got a, a manageable stretch of their schedule here. Um, they've got some tougher games towards the end, but the program's own stated goal is to be bowl eligible this year. We'll see if they can make it. I, I myself picked them to be about four and eight this year. So, but even that is still, legitimate progress from where they have been over the last five years, especially, especially during the, the Walt Bell disaster that uh, he was the coach before Don Brown. Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of plugging along. They're trying to change the narrative about UMass being a, you know, kind of a doormat. And, and so far it seems to be working a little bit, you know, even though they're one and two right now, they, they really haven't. I mean, aside from playing a team like Auburn, which you can't really get around that they've had a couple of competitive games and a win. So they're, they're trying to build that momentum. Yeah, I, I think you kind of like answered one of my next questions. I was going to ask, like, what are kind of the goals for UMass? And like, I'm curious about that. When I do like, you know, conference previews, go to Mac Media Day, I half the time I just won't even ask, what are your goals? Because like, I know what it is. You want to win the Mac championship in December. But if you're UMass, you don't have a Mac championship game to look forward to. You have 12 games and hopefully that 13th. Uh, is it really just like upsets and getting to a bowl game that like kind of highlight the like you know the season's going in uh year in and year out for umass now that it's an independent pretty much i mean the bowl eligibility thing is is it i mean that's why you're in fbs in the first place to, to play in bowl games so they haven't had the chance to do that yet since they moved up it's been over a decade now and and you know as i mentioned it's been a struggle so as an independent the goal is to win six games and, and be eligible for a bowl and the way college football works now, it's almost like that they they'll find a way to get you into a bowl if you're six and six. Uh, not always, of course, but uh, you know, in, in in a lot of cases, you know, there's so many bowl games that that's the avenue UMass needs to take. So it, it would be basically to potentially pull a big upset. Uh, they're not really in that position quite yet, but um, and but yeah, bowl eligibility and potentially a bowl win that that is the goal right now. Without a division championship or a conference championship to play for, that's what you shoot for. Basically, that's it. And and you know, winning some some potential like rivalry games that you have on the schedule, like they play UConn. You know, to to beat beating UConn is always a good a good goal for for UMass. Um, but yeah, it's it's all about going to a bowl. It doesn't matter where it is. They they do finally have a secondary bowl tie-in agreement with ESPN events. So the the bowls that ESPN owns and operates, UMass has an avenue, an official avenue to get into those bowl games now. Um, so whether it's in Boise, Idaho, or Boca Raton, or Frisco, wherever it might be, that that's what UMass's goal is. They just want to get there, and and hopefully they'd be able to do that. Yeah, and here's to hoping in the future for them too, man. Because I would really, really love to see them personally back in the Mac and maybe with like another member too. maybe, I don't know if it could expand like with four others. I don't know, but we don't need to go down there. I think we spent enough time on, you know, what we hope or wanted to see out of the future from them. Looking at the game this weekend, um, trying to focus on both, both sides of the ball, offense, defense for UMass for offense. 
the story essentially has been how has Don Brown used the transfer portal to kind of reinvigorate or just re-energize this offense. Sure, the defense is what he's known for, and he did a good job of stabilizing that. But offensively, and leading off of the quarterback especially, because I know there's that's a point of uh, emphasis at this time, what has Don Brown's work looked like through the transfer portal to kind of add on to this roster? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of focus on getting some older guys, um, guys who have some experience playing power five guys if they were available and they also fit into that mold mm-hmm. uh offensively it was it was a lot of work at the skill positions quarterback wide receiver a little bit of running back um so you know they brought in tyson pumachan from clemson he won the starting job out of camp uh led them to a win in week one at new mexico state a big win looked really good doing it the offense looked like a completely different unit compared to what we had seen the previous year Unfortunately, he got a little dinged up in that game, and then he got hurt further against Auburn. So uh, he ended up having to come out of the Auburn game, and he's uh, he's been out. So now he, he missed the game against Miami of Ohio last week. He's not set to play this week. It looks like it's going to be Carlos Davis, who was a transfer up from Western Carolina with one year left. Um, he started against Miami, came in in relief at Auburn. Uh, they're similar quarterbacks, not quite the same, but, you know, they added those guys. They added like Christian Wells uh, from App State. They added Mark Pope from Miami and Jackson State. They added um, Anthony Simpson from Arizona, a wide receiver. So it was basically just really getting more depth and talent at the skill positions uh, and and more experience. And they've shown that the guys that they've brought in really fit the offensive design that Steve Casula, who's the offensive coordinator, is looking to run. Last year, Casula installed the offense. And but it was more of a square peg round hole situation. He didn't really have the horses to run the offense the way he wants to. And as a result, you know, it was one and 11. It was a tough year for UMass. This year, they went and found guys specifically at quarterback who fit the system much better, who can be a design, uh, a designated ball carrier 10 to 12 times a game, who can pass a lot better, you know, who have the ability to scramble and extend plays with their legs. And that's what both Davis and Pumachan can do. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate Pumachan's hurt, but Davis doesn't run quite as much, but he's probably a little bit better passer. So you mm-hmm. might see UMass do a little more work through the air against Eastern Michigan coming up. But uh, they'll still run the ball, and, and you know, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they do on the road in, in Ypsilanti. It was a tight game last year, uh, you know, only a, only one touchdown separating the teams. for you know, And, and Eastern had a good year, 9-4 and four with a bowl win, and UMass didn't. So, But it, they, they were able to play that game tight. So like that that change on the offense that was really the focus for Brown and Casula was to to get more depth more talent and and find a quarterback really that that was the bottom line find a quarterback who could run the offense effectively and it changes the entire look mm-hmm. yeah and it stinks that you know if he's de- definitely out for Saturday uh Pumachan he's a big body that would have been like really tough to like bring down can like provide more of that RPO game for UMass um, but Carlos Davis and Brady Olson, not that we saw too much out of Brady Olson the past couple games, um, but they're both guys that have arms that can definitely stretch the field. In my few notes, uh, just like watching a little bit of UMass in these past three games, uh, they used a lot of pre-snap motion to really just create disadvantages uh, or advantages, I should say, against defenses. Uh, and I definitely see that being the way that UMass is going to attack EMU this weekend. How do you think they're going to play this offense this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the pre-stamp motion has been a very big part of the offense. Um, they, they'll, they'll 
hand the ball off in a lot of that pre-snap motion, whether it's Simpson or, or Wells, uh, whoever's doing it. But they they usually try to identify defenses and create mismatches, and, and it's been working pretty well for them. Uh, so they're going to use a lot of that. Davis won't run, as I mentioned. He won't run quite as much as Pumachan right. would have. Davis is more of the passer of the two of them. So, But he uh, seems you know, like the guy that will give you 15 yards if you need 15 yards. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not, uh, you know, he, he's he's capable, uh, absolutely. He can scramble, he can extend a play, he's a good athlete for sure. Not, like I said, not quite at the Pumachan level, but, you know, the the counter to that is is he probably has a bit better arm, a bit better accuracy. And, you know, he spread the ball around pretty well against Miami of Ohio. So that's probably what you're going to see a little bit more of. There'll be some pre-snap motion, but it would probably lean a little more towards the passing game than the run game. Uh, I think they would prefer to lean on the run game, but without Pumachan, it's a little more difficult to do that. Um, they didn't do a ton of design runs against Miami of Ohio for Davis. Uh, there's, a, you know, he had a handful, but it, most of his running would be scrambling to extend the play. But you're probably going to see them try to attack the Eastern secondary. Um, what it really comes down to for UMass offensively is they did do a lot of work with their skill positions, but it's the offensive line. Offensive line is, has struggled a little bit the last two games. They didn't do, they weren't exceptional against New Mexico state, but they did enough to help the team win. They've, they've, they've scuffled a little bit. And, and, you know, we've, most UMass people said this or something similar that the, the team this year is going to go as far as the offensive line can take them. They had a hell of a time recruiting offensive linemen in the portal. They, they did get a few. One of them is starting for them at right guard, Marcellus Anderson. But uh, he's a transfer up from Saginaw Valley State. Um, but, it, you know, offensive linemen were like the hottest commodities in recruiting, uh, especially this cycle seemed like hotter than ever. And it was just very difficult to find them. You know, UMass was in on a lot of guys and ended up missing. They like the guys they got in the transfer portal, but, you know, a lot of their players, while they have experience, you know, UMass, it's experience and losses and, and, you know, not a ton of offensive success. So that's going to be the key is how that line uh, faces up to Easton's front seven. I know Easton's lost a few pieces this year, and so we'll see how that goes. But that's the matchup to watch is is the battle in the trenches. If, if UMass's offensive line can get some push and, and, you know, give Davis time to throw, I think UMass can have some success for sure. And Don Brown really loves it in the trenches as like a defensive guy, loves to really muddy things up, loves to really just change up fronts, disguise pressures. Um, one, I'm just going to start with one player that stood out to me uh, just watching a little bit of UMass football. Number 42, that nose tackle, Billy Wooden. Man, yes, yes. he is, he seems like a problem. Already off to two sacks, had that forced fumble against Miami uh, at their goal line, which immediately led to a UMass touchdown. Uh, what, who are like the biggest disruptors for this UMass defense that helps, you know, Don Brown bring out the defense that he wants? Yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it on the defensive line. Billy Wooden is a phenomenal player. Uh, you know, he's a senior now he's been around, he's, he's been grinding it out for four years and, and, you know, he's gone through some tough seasons, but he's a very good player. He's a guy who really can, you know, he's not the biggest nose guard. You know, he's not like a 6'5", 330-pound nose, but he's he just he's very good with his hands. He has good explosiveness off the ball. And he's, he's the guy that ends up kind of demanding a double team from the opposing offensive line. Otherwise, he can really create some havoc inside. Um, Marcus Bradley, who plays uh, UMass's anchor position, which is basically strong side defensive end, he's, he's likely the other guy on the defensive line itself who – can create the most havoc. Sometimes he'll he'll go two point stance as well, but he's mostly three point stance kind of guy. He's you know he's someone who offensive lines have to account for. 
Uh, he, you know, he definitely loves getting in the mix, getting his nose dirty. So like on the line itself, those guys are, are, are two of the players um, in the, in the second level for the linebackers, Jerry Roberts, who's a transfer from Arizona. Um, he, he played the first game in the win. He hasn't played the last two games. He's had a lower body injury. Brown mentioned this week, he hopes, he believes that Jerry will be back for the Eastern game, which will make a huge difference for the, the UMass defense because he's, you know, he's the, the signal caller for the defense at Mike. And he's got a lot of experience with both Don Brown and just playing in general. And UMass kind of needs that at that second level. Um, so hopefully, you know, that's a big difference there. If, if, if Roberts is out again, that'll be, a, that'll be another blow to the UMass defense. But, and then in the secondary, they're difference makers, Havoc guys, you know, they, they, their safeties, um, Tyler Rudolph, Torrey Powell, Deshaun Jerkins, the, the, the combination of those three guys always do a lot of good work. They can cover. It's not their, it's not their strongest suit. They're usually better, like sort of helping the corners if necessary. But, um, you know, Jerkins had a pick six in the game against Miami of Ohio. Um, Isaiah Rutherford is another Arizona transfer. He's a cornerback. He had a pick six against New Mexico State. So there, there's some big playability back there, too. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's been a little bit feast or famine in the secondary uh, over the first three games. Uh, Gage Larvidane, who I don't know if I don't know if Eastern has Miami on their schedule this year, um, but he's a Escaped kid who transferred to Miami. <laughs> Missed that one. God, that guy yeah. is good. Yeah, dodged a bullet there because the kid roasted the UMass secondary on Saturday. I mean, now the game was a was a gong show with the lightning delays and all the time off and everything. It was very messy, but you know, Larvidane came into that game after putting up eight for eighty against Miami, Florida, and you knew he was by far. My, the Red Hawks' best offensive weapon, and he still managed to gas the UMass defense for eight catches, but 274 yards and three touchdowns, including a 99-yard touchdown um, after the teams came out of one of the lightning delays. Uh, you know, he's he's a phenomenal player, and while UMass did, like I say, put up one pick six in that game, and they had that fumble forced and then turned into a touchdown, they've they've been getting gashed a little bit in the passing game uh especially deep and and that's the biggest concern defensively for UMass right now I I know Tanner New is probably Eastern's best wide receiving option I I don't I haven't watched as much of Eastern as I'd like I didn't get to see them against Minnesota I saw a little bit of them against Howard but I know they're more of a running team so you know Samson Evans is going to be doing the bulk of the work uh so we'll see how that goes but that's definitely the area that eastern could potentially try to exploit you know if if that's something they can factor in yeah i mean like against the run you know like don brown's gonna come out like they he changed up his front size evens you know just like any good defensive mining coach would but i like the way that they do their 3-3 stack that's definitely going to change the way you know eastern's gonna have to prepare or their run game's gonna have to like really prepare for that and not get too fooled um but like you kind of mentioned with Gage, Lar- Gage Larvidane, I see, I can say it, um, man, it seems like if EMU had a true X like that, or even half of that, then there are some points to be had against UMass. Uh, you know, Canoe's good. They have some good receivers. But I think since Lassiter, Darius Lassiter, uh, who was just like a one-year player out of the JUCO system, transferred out to BYU after uh, the spring session, I think EMU is kind of missing an X receiver and listeners of this podcast will kind of, uh, if they listen to Tuesday's episode, they heard me kind of complain about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely very evident watching that Miami game, looking forward to this game. If EMU has a receiver that hasn't blossomed yet, that now's a good time to really show that off. But if EMU doesn't have that receiver, I don't know what 
plan C is going to look like. Plan B is definitely like running the ball through the middle and you know kicking UMass's ass that way. But in the pass game, I don't know what it's going to be. Can yeah, it's 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 interesting because like I mean UMass has good cornerbacks, but they've been have they've had some bad moments this year, and you know they all all Miami had to do really was put Larvidane in the slot, and you know because of the way UMass's defense runs, which is a lot of man coverage on the outside because of all the pressure uh, the pressure looks they give you that put safeties manned up with Larvidane and the safeties you know as I mentioned they're better giving help over the top on man coverage they're not they're not really the the design to do that man coverage one on one they couldn't cover Larvidane like the 99 yard touchdown he had a safety on him he had another like 60 or 70 yard pass he had a safety on him uh you know that was kind of a design issue for for me looking at the way UMass approached the game, like you knew he was the best offensive weapon they had and you still let him crush you all game. They switched to zone for a portion of that game after Larvidane had already scored two or three touchdowns. And that actually worked for a little while, but then they went back to man at the end and, and started getting gassed again. I, I don't know why they would have done that, but yeah, they, they have to keep an eye out for that. If, if, you know, Don Brown said in his press conference this week that, you know, Eastern wants to run the ball right at you. And, and he feels that, that it's a good opportunity for UMass to kind of get their groove back defensively to, you know, to focus on stopping the run. And and that, you know, he's hopeful that this game will be able to sort of be press reset for the defense and, and, and have them get back to where he expects them to be. Because so far this year, you know, UMass struggled a lot last year, but some of their defensive numbers were actually pretty good. Their third down numbers were very good like top 15 in the country on third down. They, they were like a top 55, I want to say, defense over the course of last season, even though they didn't win many games. You know, this year they're already giving up about 10 more points a game than they were last year, and, and their defensive numbers have not been great. So they they need something to try to, to press reset, and I think they're hopeful that the shot to stop Samson Evans is, is the way to do it. Now, Rashad Amos from Miami, he, he ended up running for over 100 yards in that game. But he did it mostly at the end of the third and fourth quarter when Miami was killing the clock. I mean, full credit to him. He did a great job. He was a, he was a load to bring down. He's a huge kid. But, I mean, Samson Evans is in a similar mold. So he, the, there's definitely opportunity there if the Eastern, if the line for Eastern can open up some holes that, that Evans could have some success for sure. Uh, really quickly on special teams, only one question on them uh, because EMU's defense – and not that it's to any surprise from the Minnesota game if people follow Eastern's defense, but when the ball gets into the red zone, man, they get after it, and man, Eastern's defense plays fast and smart and usually ends in stops. Uh, not always touchdowns, of course, against Minnesota. Six trips to the red zone, five scores, three of them were field goals, two touchdowns. Uh, one of them could have been a touchdown. One more touchdown could have been added if they really wanted to. But I digress. If UMass gets across the 35 and they don't get into the, you know, into the end zone, first, second, third down, can they expect three points out of its kicker? Uh, I mean, Cam Carson's their kicker. They, I mean, Carson's not a bad kicker. Um, he's not automatic, though. I mean, I think they would prefer to have him kicking inside 40, you know, if, if it's 40 or less. I think he's pretty good with that. Anything above that is a little bit more dicey. But special teams have kind of been a problem this year for UMass. Um, coverage specifically uh, has been an issue both on punt and kickoff. And I know Eastern ran back two touchdowns against Howard on kick cover on kick returns. So yeah, I just heard all the Eastern fans wagging their tail listening to you say that. Yeah, so like that's something that um, UMass absolutely has to try to game plan for and fix because they've they've had some real struggles with that. Um, 
uh, punting's been a little bit iffy. They, you know, but yeah, field goal. I mean, out of all their special teams sections, the the field goal kicking's probably been the best. There's been a couple of misses, but they were both, I think, forty plus. They missed one against Miami that was well over fifty that came up short. It, it was on target. It was just short. Now nah, he and Carson missed one against Auburn too. But I mean, anything inside forty that should be that should be three points for UMass. Anything forty to like forty eight or so, that's more of a coin flip. So UMass, when whenever they get into the red zone. They're going to have to do everything they can to try to get six, uh, you know, but when, you know, much easier said than done. But, yeah, it, it's not an automatic uh, three points if the kicking team rolls out there, especially if the kick is over about 40, 40 yards or so. Uh, one final question. Uh, but before that, one final plug for you, Michael Traney of Fight Massachusetts of the 247 Sports Network. Uh, kind of more broadly, more generally, you don't have to give a prediction if you don't want to, uh, or you can if you do. But just looking forward to this weekend, as you get to cover UMass, as you get to cover like the players that are on the field, what are you looking forward to and what are you kind of hoping to learn? What are you kind of hoping to see out of them? I mean, for UMass, uh, basically, we're hoping to see more of a return to the Week Zero game against Mexico State. Now, I mean, leaving Auburn to the side because th- that, you know, that matchup was for the money. You mm-hmm. know, all, all G5 teams have matchups like that. Um, it, it wasn't a great matchup for a number of reasons. So we'll, we'll put that to the side. That was always going to be a loss. UMass showed much differently than what we had seen the past four or five years when they played New Mexico State. They ended up with 41 points. They they went on the road and won a game, you know, in the heat. You know, they, they had to start training camp early. That really, really reinvigorated the fan base, uh, you know, and, and everyone was kind of behind the idea that maybe this really is different. And, you know, Don Brown's back and, and this could be the year because, you know, Brown has a there's a, a clip of Brown talking to his team during, I believe, the end of the spring. And, and you know, he, he you know, rah, with the rah, rah speech, but basically just telling them he's like, we're getting bowl eligible. Like that's that's what we're here for. We want to be bowl eligible. And they picked up that win, and and it, it kind of revamped people's expectations of the season. And you said, well, maybe they really can do it this year because of some of the games they had in their schedule. And, and no disrespect to Eastern. Eastern's a, a program that UMass could do well to, like, emulate as far as their success and getting to bowls and, and playing in the group of five. But, you know, a bad UMass team went to Ypsilanti last year and only lost by seven. So they were hopeful that this year with a new offense, they could potentially go up there and it would it could be a different game. But – these last four games, um, the game against Miami plus Eastern here, then the next two games are also at home against New Mexico and Arkansas State, who are both terrible. Um, UMass just needs some wins. Like, if they want to make this bowl thing happen, they've got to win some games, and they have to really show that this is a different program and a different team than what they have been used to, not only for the last several years, but for the entirety of the FBS era. Because most of the time in this FBS era, when presented with a challenge, UMass has not been able to rise to meet that challenge on the field. Occasionally they did, but all, but like nine times out of 10, they didn't. And, and it's, you know, obviously kind of stacked up and, and been difficult. So this, this week you're looking for a team to really kind of press reset, forget about that loss to Miami of Ohio and, and try to get back on track and, and go on the road again and see if they can win a game against an institution, especially as in terms of football, that is that UMass would like to be on par with. So you, you look hopefully to get some guys back too from, from being banged up, but that's what, that's what we're looking for is, is if, if you're UMass, you, you want to, to be able to go on the road and, and try to steal a win against Eastern because then you come back home for another couple of games where they could potentially get some more wins. And that really, 
would do would go the longest way to prove that this is a different team and a different year for UMass. So it'll be interesting. I I don't know if they'll be able to do it. I think it's not going to be easy. It never is easy to go on the road, you know, in college football. Um, I mean, until they can prove otherwise, I'm not sure I'd be willing to to pick them to win this game, but they definitely should be able to compete in it. So I think they've also scored more points than I expected them to score so far this year. Um, So, you know, I think this is probably a tie game where it's like 31-28 or 31-27, that type of game. I'm not going to pick which team right now. I don't know which one's going to end up on top, but I think it'll this game will probably be somewhere like a score like that one. So we'll see what happens. Thank you for listening to another episode of Y11 Audio. If you like what I do, hit subscribe. If you love what I do, all I ask for is $6 a month, and you can get it all at ipsy11.com. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thanks again.